The Ear to Asia podcast is made available on the Jakarta Post platform under agreement between the Jakarta Post and the University of Melbourne. Hello, I'm Ali Moore. This is Ear to Asia. It's a really ambitious target, a lot of money and a lot of resources and companies and all the different ministries are going to have to come together and really fight. But things are going to have to move a lot faster and implementation is going to have to be a lot more serious. Indonesia have to start to think what is our economic asset actually, our ocean, our forest, then focus on the priorities to protect this. It's really ironic if the economic action destroy where the food grow, which is actually the primary goal for the economy. The idea is to review what is actually the economic action. In this episode, tackling the problem of plastic in Indonesia. Ear to Asia is the podcast from Asia Institute, the Asia Research Specialist at the University of Melbourne. The world has a colossal plastics problem, and one of the more potent symbols of this sits in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, an island of plastic rubbish covering 1.6 million square kilometres, an area more than twice the size of France. Lying between the Pacific Ocean and the Indian Ocean is Indonesia, where the problem is so bad that many of the beaches of Bali, the archipelago's premier tourist destination, have become an eyesore of discarded plastic bags, styrofoam cups, plastic drink bottles and packaging. On the main island of Java, the Indonesian military has been deployed to deal with a veritable iceberg of plastic waste, clogging up the river flowing through Indonesia's third largest city, Bandung. So how did Indonesia's plastic problem reach such crisis levels? What have been the consequences, not only for the environment? And who among the government, civil society and industry is stepping up to tackle the problem? To shed light on Indonesia's scourge of plastic are Eva Voikowska, co-founder and chief operating officer of Copernic, an NGO with a focus on poverty reduction, and Gede Robbie, environmental activist and frontman of Indonesian rock band Navakula. Welcome Eva and welcome Robbie. Hi Ali, thank you so much. Hi Ali. Let's start with a look at the scale of the problem. Eva, where does Indonesia fit in terms of global plastic waste? It's not a great position to be in because Indonesia is the second largest polluter and contributor of plastic into the oceans after China. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? It certainly is. When you look at the flow of plastics around the world's oceans, it shows that the whole of the Asia-Pacific is a hotspot. Exactly. And there's some good data out there showing the scale of the problem. There are some great studies currently also underway, including by CSIRO, to really map the flow of plastics. Where is it coming from? What are the hotspots? And setting a baseline so that policies, as they're implemented, can then be measured against a baseline. The CSIRO being Australia's National Science Research Organisation. Robbie, why are plastics such a problem in Indonesia? I think it's not only Indonesia, but it's become a global problem right now. Yeah, maybe because of the culture is change, you know, like consumerism is increasing. It's like also parallel with the increasing of the economic and also the system of trade now. It's like a people easy to buy online and then every distribution needs plastic as the packaging. 
yeah, this not only happen in Indonesia, but also happen. No, indeed. And as we yeah, said, it's global. the whole of the Asia Pacific yes. that's a hotspot. Are uh, we talking in the Indonesian context, mm-hmm. though? Are we mainly talking about single use plastic bags yes. or is it everything? It's the food packaging, the plastic bags, mm-hmm. the, you know, the cups, the bottles. Maybe the first is because of the infrastructure for the waste management is is not ready to handling this massive amount of plastic use in Indonesia. And then also the education and then the information like how danger of the plastic is also lead the mistreatment of these plastics. Uh, but I think, Ali, we are talking about single-use plastics in particular. We're never going to get rid of plastics. It's a very useful material that can be used for so many different applications. But we are talking about these single-use plastic bags and straws and styrofoam and single-serve cups, packaging, sachets. They're really the problematic ones. And The reason why they're so problematic is that uh, most of them are not really recyclable. I think if we start talking about recycling, the reality is that only between 9 and 12% of all plastics are actually recycled. That's a global figure, isn't it? That's a global figure. So we don't have exact statistics for Indonesia, but they would be similar to that. I want to ask you about recycling in Indonesia. But first, Eva, how much do we know about what happens to these plastics when they get in the water? We know they enter the food chain, but they also break down into microplastics, don't they? Well, that's exactly how they enter the food chain. They break down into microplastics. They're mistaken for food by marine life. And then they end up on our plates when we eat fish or seafood. But then there's another really terrible consequence of these plastics, which is that The larger items are also mistaken for food, so a lot of marine life is killed as a result of either ingesting or being entangled in these various plastic items. So it's a really cruel and difficult consequence. And Robbie, I know that as well as being frontman of a rock band, you're also a farmer. What's the impact of plastics on farming? During the process of making the Pula Plastics series, I learned how that, shocking... That's the, the TV series yeah, that the you've TV made series. to try and assist. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. It's like a shocking impact, actually, for the irrigation system. And also because the plastic is degraded into microplastics, so actually it's also contaminating the soil. And also air. The industry, the most impacted by this kind of pollution, is actually agriculture. Actually, I found out in the other side, the sustainable farming system also can be a solution for the plastic based on the characteristic of the waste. Mostly in Indonesia, like 70% are organics can be beneficial for the farming industry as compost. But also the plastic pollution is also highly impacted the agricultural. And Eva, you, you were talking about not necessarily having the numbers on the extent of recycling of plastic in Indonesia, but we know it's not great you know, following global trends. And yet Indonesia imports waste from other countries. Does it import plastic? It imports plastic, but not intentionally. So Indonesia is pretty reliant on paper imports from other countries, including from Australia. It's got a a very significant paper industry. Unfortunately, what happens is that in those paper imports, there's a lot of plastic that's mixed up. And uh, Are we we talking there just things like labels and and things like that? Or does it go further than that? 
We work with an organization that focuses specifically on this issue. And what they've found that over the last couple of years, the type of plastic that is being mixed up has changed. So previously, it used to be labels and things that would make sense that they were included in these paper imports. But now it's actually packaging like personal hygiene. uh, Yeah, so the proportion has gone from around a maximum of 10% to now being 30 to 40% according to Ecoton research. Especially after China stopped there. Stop taking in other countries' rubbish. If it's gone from 10 to 30 or 40%, does Indonesia have the might or the power or the will to simply stop those imports or to demand cleaner imports? Yes, I believe that there are various players who are trying to to put a stop to what's happening with these plastic imports because they are having significant consequences. I would say that increased inspection and ensuring that the paper imports are clean would be a really clear and important step to stop these plastic imports from happening. Especially if it's becoming a growing problem because China is no longer accepting the waste of other countries. When we talk about plastic being recycled, it's also downcycled. Robbie, what does downcycled mean? Recycles is the same quality, right? From bottle, recycle to bottle. But downcycle mostly like what we found in Indonesia mostly from bottle, like a good quality packaging, but into a plastic bag or into a plastic string, which is actually after that you cannot recycle again. So it's a very limited process. Yes. That's why the downcycle make everything into the lower quality. And is there more downcycling than recycling in Indonesia? Yeah, I can see like that uh, according to the investigation that we did for the film. So tell us about biodegradable plastic because there are a number of products that are on the market that are labelled biodegradable. Uh, Eva, what does that actually mean when it comes to plastic? It's a really good question because it means so many different things. I understand that Australia has really strong and good standards on what uh, biodegradable or compostable plastic what criteria it has to fulfill to actually be called that. Unfortunately, in Indonesia, we don't yet have those standards in place. And what we've seen is that Bali has now introduced regulations ban the use of certain single-use plastics, such as plastic bags, straws and styrofoam. And as a result, we're seeing the introduction of other packaging alternatives. Now, I have to say that it's exciting that there's so much innovation that's happening in this sector because we do need a redesign of packaging. We need to redesign the system of how we package and transport our food and other items. I think the current challenge that we're faced with is that there is a lot of consumer confusion when they see these various items that may say 100% compostable, yet when you actually look into the process of how that compostability process takes place, it requires an industrial composting facility. And just to give you an example of the challenge of that, Bali doesn't have any industrial composting facilities. So... 
we may be creating another problem if we don't have the evidence that these items actually do effectively biodegrade in various environments. We don't have the necessary infrastructure to be able to deal with these items. So it's too early to call many of these items as viable alternatives to single-use packaging. And we may just be creating another another problem. problem. Let's go to Bali because you've both been instrumental in trying to reduce plastic waste in Bali through a documentary film that you've made. Before you started that project, Robbie, how bad was the plastic waste problem on Bali? Bali has like a regular problem dealing with the plastic, maybe like around December and January. That's always every year we have like a massive tons of plastic ended on the coastal area. So it's just a tidal thing. They put the rubbish in the water and it comes back. Yes, this is like an annual problem, which is actually damage the tourism industry, which is actually Bali itself very depending on this tourism industry. And also the plastic issue in Bali, maybe it's like been discussed for the last 10 years. But the problem that I see, the solution is mostly on the recycled level. There is no enough ideal proportion for the reduced level, which everybody already agree. Actually, the solution is reduce first, then reuse, then recycle. So that's why the Pulo Plastic campaign is mostly focused on the reduce to bring the ideal proportion for these three so tell us about Pulau Plastic, which essentially is Island of Plastic or Plastic Island is mm. the name of your documentary. What did you set out to achieve with that? We encourage the collaboration. It's no blaming, but we believe the significant change will happen if the three elements, like a government, a corporation and people, a community, a grassroots level is working together to find a solution, which is actually integrated solution, not partial solution. Uh, we only the last 10 years focusing on the recycling. For example, the easy illustrations, like why we see this has become a problem in Bali, there is a running top, which is actually the plastic distribution and then production. And then Bali Island is the bucket under this tap, which is already overflow. What we're doing now is mopping the floor. If we see this kind of action happen, the most logic way is to stop the running, running tap. So the pool of plastic is focusing on that reduce. But is it aimed at educating Indonesian people? Is that the intention of the documentary? Part is education, but what the interesting about this one, because it's also bringing the simple solution for what everybody can do in their daily life, beside of what the corporate can do. And then also supporting the regulation when this regulation being released. So maybe our role is to help to distribute this regulation to be easily implemented by by most of the people in Bali. This is the the local ban on single-use plastic bags in Bali. Before your film, was there a social movement? Was the government with that ban responding to social pressure ever or did the government lead? So as Robbie was saying, that for the last 10 years there's been a lot of activity by social and grassroots organisations to address the plastic issue. And we're part of a much broader movement. Over the last 10 years, the public has started to become aware of the issue and to really be affected by the issue because, as, as we were saying... Bali relies so much on tourism and the reason why we started Pull Out Plastic was because it was really in your face. I mean, the plastic is is everywhere. So 
the government. Robbie, I'm sure you have more to say about this, but the government was definitely responding to this social pressure to do something about the issue. And I think everyone that's been involved in this movement has been very happy with the outcome of these regulations because they validate all this hard work that's been done. And now there's a legal framework. Uh, Now, of course, implementation will be the key. Which we'll get to. Can I just say one thing about Pulau Plastics? So it's a series. There is also a film that's coming out in mid-July in Indonesian cinemas. So the series themselves were very specifically targeting a Balinese audience, so using a lot of local cultural and spiritual references and aspects to get people to care about the issue and also, as Robbie was saying, to provide very simple solutions that people can apply in their daily lives to reduce the use of single-use plastics. And we very intentionally didn't want to have this blaming and shaming approach in Pulau Plastic because we recognise we're all part of the problem and we wanted everyone to sit around the table together and bring the, the different strengths of the community, of the government and of the private sector together to address the issue. So when you've shown the film, what's been the audience reaction? Yeah, mostly positive, yeah. I mean, it's like a Copernic team resets for the audience response, and then we're pretty happy with the result. This has actually been a behaviour change campaign, so we've used behaviour science techniques in the messaging in the Pulau Plastic series. So, of course, we collect uh, feedback on, you know, did you enjoy the series? And 98% of people did, which is great. But then we also measure change. So we collect data before and a month or two after the screening to see whether people actually change their behaviour. Do they reduce the plastics? Are they motivated to make a change to reduce and change their behaviour? And they are? The answer is a little bit complicated. So what we've seen is that there is a reduction in certain single-use plastics, even a month or two after watching the episode that they watched. But that doesn't apply to food packaging and sachets. It applies to plastic bags, straws and plastic bottles. So, of course, you know, that could be as a result of the regulation. It could be as a result of many different things. But we are seeing a reduction in certain items, but not others. So then we explore further, why is that? And people really struggle to find alternatives to food packaging and to sachets. And that's based on the formal monitoring and evaluation and based on the scientific data. But what we found in the field right now is like most of the big festival in Bali already changed the consumption and then plastic packaging backstage, for example, like that. And then some temples in Bali start to ban the plastic mix with the offerings coming to the temple. Aku bermalam di rimba Di tepi sungai suara Di buai kedamaian sempurna 
You're listening to Ear to Asia from Asia Institute at the University of Melbourne. I'm Ali Moore and I'm joined by Eva Wojkowska from the NGO Copernic and Gede Robbie, environmental activist and rock star. We're talking about finding solutions to Indonesia's massive plastic pollution problem. And you're listening to Robbie and his band Navakula playing their song In the Wild. Before we look at how you get behavioural change, can we just look at this aim of providing simple solutions? How easy is that? Because I imagine that particularly when you're dealing with less wealthy people and ever you were talking about food packaging being an issue, but let's say, for example, I run a small food stall. What else can I afford to sell my tea in? When I first started going to Indonesia, which was... uh 20 years ago, your tea bottle, your bottle in a tea, a bottle in a tea, tea in a bottle, <laughs> would be available in a in a glass bottle, which would then be returned and washed and refilled. I think there are many solutions that have existed in the past that we could go back to. Yes, they are more expensive, and that is one reason why I think plastic has become so widely available. But uh, if we factor in not just the economic cost, but all of the environmental costs and put a real price on on the packaging and the recovery, then uh, these other solutions make sense. The single-use plastic abuse is pretty new in Indonesia. But I experienced when I still live with my parents. My parents work as the government officer, which is not so big income. You can say like a low income people. In that time, my parents and others, they have monthly consumptions in the bulk quantity. For example, like rice for one month and then flour or milk for one month or biscuit in the big can. It's just before the plastic or the small packaging become very popular. I believe this kind of methods, like uh, buying in a lot of Buying in bulk, so you don't need to keep buying. It also helps the economic for most of the people because we don't need to buy the packaging. We just buy the product. I just wonder, in a country where you've got at least 26 million people who are officially categorised as poor, it becomes imperative, doesn't it, if you want change to provide a cost-effective solution for them. That if you're really struggling to put food on the table, telling them that the environment will be better isn't helping them. Yeah, and I'm not actually talking about the consumer paying for it. I think corporations need to factor that cost into production and the transportation. I think you just raised a really good point and it uh, reminds me that Indonesia is an archipelago. So transporting items to and then transporting waste, if it's to be recycled back, it's really expensive. You asked about solutions, refill stations of personal care items, buying in bulk. There's no reason why that couldn't work for all sectors of of society, if you can buy any quantity. And I guess your work to date is very much on that, as you said at the beginning, Robbie, about the individual, what the individual consumer can do. You start with what you can change. 
uh, when Bali significantly decreased the amount of plastic bag. Most of the people respond positive for that. And also the supermarket, good for them because they don't have to buy this item because mostly so far they buy this item and then give it free for the people. Yeah, I believe the grassroots economy is quite resilient. The character of the industry is like a small industry in Indonesia is quite creative. And then so many alternative material that based on the natural product is not been discovered yet. Like so many types of fiber, like banana fibers, bamboo fibers, palm fibers is not been discovered yet. There is some initiative that's already make a research about the products. So you talk there about the individual business being happy, for example, that they don't have to buy straws and get them away free. More broadly, with the ban in Bali, what's the impact been or what's the response been of companies, of businesses, particularly, I suppose, the big businesses that supply into Bali? Without saying names, like one of the biggest mineral water packaging in Indonesia, more than half of their profit coming from the bulk distribution, like a gallon. They still can make big chunk of profit by still keep doing this operation. And but they're reducing their packaging. D- reducing the small packaging, which actually is small profit. It's big market, but small profit for them. So why have to keep that small percentage by sacrificing the environment? We believe like everybody in the corporate and the government, they have the kindness. We want to touch the kindness. So just redesign. I think the response has been mixed. I think there are many sectors of the private sector that don't support bans in general, don't support bans on plastic, on single-use plastics. There are going to be winners and losers in the short term, in the transition period, but there are also so many opportunities and the whole packaging system really needs to change, really needs to be redesigned. Many of the big companies have made some pretty significant commitments and have invested big dollars in the R&D to redesign the packaging. Yeah, it would be that, great. That's a, that too is a global problem though, isn't it? That goes far beyond Bali. Oh, absolutely. But it impacts Bali, it impacts Indonesia, it impacts everywhere. And the streets in Australia may be clean, but the problem doesn't just go away. It has global implications. You talked earlier, ever about having the ban and the regulation, which is, of course, important. The question does become the extent to which it's enforced. Does this ban in Bali have real teeth behind it? The great thing about the ban in Bali is that it's got great community support. People have really got behind it and feel proud to be the first province in Indonesia to have uh, implemented such a ban, and it's been followed by you know, others, and including Jakarta. Which we'll, um, we'll get to Jakarta in a minute, but does that answer mean that, in fact, if you don't follow the ban, there's not a heavy penalty to pay? There is not a heavy penalty to pay. So what we've seen, if you go into a supermarket, almost mini-marts in Bali these days, you won't get a plastic bag. You'll have to buy a reusable one or bring your own. But it's more the smaller traditional markets and the smaller restaurants where we're still not seeing the extensive implementation. So this is, again, a role for us 
pull our plastic to get the information out there that these laws exist and need to be implemented. And of course, for the, the ban to be expanded to cover other items and for implementation and enforcement. And obviously, Robbie, there's different ways of persuading people to change. I mean, one is obviously providing alternatives, but the other is to have a, a powerful voice. How important is not just the government putting in place a ban, but the support of key organisations. I know, for example, in Bali, you got the support of some key Hindu leaders regarding plastics in religious ceremonies. Can you tell me about that and how key that was? Bali is 50-50 strong between the formal law and then informal traditional law. So that's why it's like we're working by mapping the local resources and the local wisdom. It's like easily to get people engaged with this one because it's like using the local logic. And we hope this idea is also can be influenced other area to start to mapping their local wisdom and local resources. Because I believe there is no one formula to implement it for other area, especially like a big country like Indonesia. So far, Bali is very strongly affected by the traditional culture and then traditional law. So yeah, I believe every place can mapping their own local knowledge. But the example of the Hindu leader who said that plastics in spiritual or religious ceremonies is unclean, that must yeah. have made a huge difference. Yes, it's like a significant statement to reform the traditional law. The traditional law has a strong impact in this community, but some of the law is quite like out of date. Like maybe it's made before the plastic become an issue. So now when plastic become an issue, maybe the traditional leader or the Hindu leader start to think this can be affecting. Because most of the ceremony in Bali is to purify the microcosmic, the body and then the universe. So it's really ironic when we see the fact that every ceremonial day in Bali, the plastic consume is increased three times. So what's the point of the Bali ceremony now? Is this really contraproductive? And Eva, when you talk about the involvement of key organisations like religious leaders, because Robbie being the rock star, and he's also the face and the voice of your series and your documentary, how important is the power of celebrity to persuading people to change in a place like Indonesia? Oh, it's massive. There's this huge influencer culture. And I think we've really got a secret weapon with Robbie because he's able to move people through his followers and his influence and obviously the band with the music. So by being able to leverage the followers they have, the media attention that they get, it's huge. Have you always seen music, Robbie, as almost like a weapon to fight a battle like this? It's in Indonesian blood. For example, like uh, art or performing art is actually being used for delivering heavy information. For example, it's like a long, long time ago, most of the religions, like both Islam or Hindu, it's spread into the community through theater, through the shadow puppet. And then this being from generation to generation. So what's the difference if we use the contemporary art, like rock music? Like uh, subconscious people accept this way. It's such a universal language. And also it will influence other artists 
to have like a moral responsibility the content that they deliver to their art because this is like a, you have opportunity have chance have ability to influence people so this was as you both made very clear very much a project aimed at bali but now ever as as you've said jakarta has a single use plastic ban coming into force can you tell us about that and whether your documentary and the efforts that you've made in bali can translate to Jakarta. The ban in Jakarta is very exciting and again, you know, it's beginning with plastic bags and the hope is that it will also cover other items. I think this was a big win for all the organizations, especially the movement called the Plastic Bag Diet, who were instrumental in making this ban happen, as well as 49 other organizations who were really pushing for for this kind of ban not only in Jakarta but also across Indonesia. But it's only in Jakarta? So at the moment, it's only in Jakarta. There are a number of locations in Indonesia. Robbie, do you remember the number off the top of your head? I think it's eight places have some kind of single-use plastic ban. The fact that Jakarta has this is very significant because it's very likely to then encourage other parts of Indonesia to implement similar bans. And have you shown your film outside Bali? Have you shown it in Java? Yeah. And then what's the reaction? Oh, it's great. So the movement is called Bali Bukampala Plastic. So Bali is not a plastic island. It's been copied twice already, which is awesome. We're really happy about that. And we have a film coming out, which is looking at the issue on a wider level beyond Bali. So the reaction is super positive. It feels like the right time. The momentum is Good there. Momentum, yeah. yeah. And also got so many invitations from university across Indonesia and festival, music festival. So, hey, can I get one of your series? Because one series is 20 minutes to put in our festival. Some festival that met in Bali, like a national festival, already involved full of plastic to make the water refill system. We've even had uh, screenings in Australia. So how, I suppose, how committed do you think the central government is in Indonesia to reducing plastic waste? Because I understand they actually have a target of reducing it by 70% by 2025. And so I ask 70% on what? (laughs) Is that on like, you know, 2000 levels or what was it? And to get there, aren't they going to have to move pretty fast? Yes, the target is very ambitious and there are certainly parts of the government that are taking this very seriously. It's going to need a lot of support. and uh, Is there money and regulation more broadly behind that target beyond just the ban on single-use plastic bags? It's a really ambitious target and a lot of money and a lot of resources and companies and all the different ministries are going to have to come together and and really fight to meet this target. As I said before, there is good momentum there and there are some regulations that have been drafted, not yet well implemented. So in order to meet that target, things are going to have to move a lot faster and implementation is going to have to be a lot more serious. When you talk about momentum, is that sort of movement that you saw in Bali that helped to encourage the government to respond and put a ban on? And I guess you're seeing part of that in Jakarta. But how far does that momentum go? How important 
our environmental issues and a cleaner environment to Indonesians, not just young Indonesians, but Indonesians across the board? Honestly, like uh, for me as the individual, Indonesians have to start to think what is our economic asset actually. For example, it's like if the Indonesia agree our economic asset is biodiversity, our ocean, our forest, then focus on the priorities to protect this one. Because for me as the individual, non-political, non, non-expert economic, for me it's like a, economic is like a, the actions that people to fulfill their prosperity, right? And then prosperity is like the condition where all the primary needs is fulfilled like a food, housing, and clothing. The most primer of this all are food. Or our food is growing from nature, from the ocean and from the soil. It's really ironic if the economic action destroy where the food grow, which is actually the primary goal for the economic. So the idea is to review what is actually the economic action. And if you're asking about uh, the importance of environmental issues to people in Indonesia, actually it's the poor people who rely on subsistence farming that are most affected from environmental issues and climate change when you know the rains don't come, when they're supposed to, when extended droughts and floods occur. That really hits people in a very serious way. In Bali, which relies on tourism, at some point, people are going to stop coming to Bali if it turns into a plastic island. That affects everybody. So what next for your campaign, for your documentary and for your movement as you've got this, I suppose, this momentum moving into the capital city? What next? So the film comes out in July and that will certainly raise the issue to a different level across Indonesia. And from Copernic's perspective, we're also very interested in finding really good alternative solutions to to packaging, to the other types of single-use plastics. We're not just about talking about the problem. We really want to find tangible solutions that can actually be used by people. And getting those solutions out to people, to the small businesses, because it's those people that really need that information and need access to those kinds of solutions. And I think, you know, people in Bali and Indonesia are super creative and resilient. And if they're just presented with ideas and alternative solutions, they can definitely make them work. We wish you the very best with your endeavours and it will be fascinating to see what impact that ban in Jakarta has on the rest of Indonesia. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much for having us, Ali. Thank you so much, Ali. Our guests have been Eva Wojkowska, co-founder and chief operating officer of Copernic, an NGO based in Indonesia, and Gede Robbie, frontman of the Indonesian rock band Navakula, an environmental activist. And you're listening right now to Navakula's hit song, Islands of the Equator.
Ear to Asia is brought to you by Asia Institute of the University of Melbourne, Australia. You can find more information about this and all our other episodes at the Asia Institute website. Be sure to keep up with every episode of Ear to Asia by following us on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify or SoundCloud. And if you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media. This episode was recorded on the 9th of March 2020. Producers were Kelvin Parham and Eric Van Bemmel of Profactual.com. Ear to Asia is licensed under Creative Commons, copyright 2020, the University of Melbourne. I'm Ali Moore. Thanks for your company. Yeah,